We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, Paul lays out for a text, lays out for us a text that is difficult to say the least. But I suppose if it wasn't difficult, then Paul wouldn't have written about it. In order for us to understand this text, let's first start at the end of our text, where Paul writes, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. As we heard this past Sunday, it was only after our Lord came out of those baptismal waters and the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove, that then the Holy Spirit sent him out into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. Likewise, for you, it is after the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you as a lavish washing away of your sins, that then you are sent out into the wilderness to be tested by God and tempted by Satan. We follow our Lord into that wilderness, that we then may follow him on that narrow path that leads to eternal life. Now let's move to the beginning of our text, where Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. These verses indeed give to us great comfort in our penitential season of Lent. As we've been marked with ashes and march closer and closer to our Lord's passion, where we see the ugly and gruesome cost of our sins. But then we will hear those sweet words of our risen Lord spoken to his disciples in the upper room. Peace be with you. For it is our Lord who has presented his very own blood before God the Father as evidence in your case, thus declaring you righteous before God. And it is through this blood alone that you have peace with God present tense. Right now you are at peace with God through that blood of Jesus Christ. Now this all makes sense in our minds as Christians, at least for those Christians that understand that we have grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. But if we present tense have peace with God, How is it then that there is suffering? How can peace and suffering exist with one another? Though we may be scandalized by such a thought, Paul doesn't seem too bothered by it. In fact, he leans all the more into it. Says that not only do peace and suffering coexist simultaneously, but more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Do we rejoice in our sufferings? I sure don't. At least it doesn't come naturally to me. What is Paul talking about that we rejoice in our sufferings? We call the three aspects that make the life of a theologian. Oratio, prayer. Meditatio, meditation on God's word. Intentatio, temptation or affliction. These three make up your life as a baptized child of God. But one of these three is less desirable than the other two. Sure, we would desire more prayers, more meditation on God's word, but we wouldn't desire more suffering, would we? We wouldn't say to God, sure, you know, we've got enough suffer or we've got enough meditation and prayer, but suffering's feeling a little bit light lately. Can you add some more? We wouldn't say that. Our prayers even largely consist of us asking God to take away many of the sufferings that we face. And while sometimes those prayers are answered and those sufferings are taken away, other times those prayers are not answered in the way that we would want. We would desire that our life would be one that is free from suffering. But what does our Lord desire for us? We in our sinful flesh would desire that we live on the easy street that is free from suffering. But our Lord desires that we would be kept on that narrow path that leads to everlasting life. And to keep us on that narrow path, our Lord uses suffering to conform us into the image of his Son. Our Father wants us holy, not happy. And he will not spare us from that suffering if in so doing, he will lose us. And so he uses that suffering to conform us into that image of his beloved son. We read in Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises, or scourges, every son whom he receives. As the father scourged his only begotten son on that Good Friday and then received him into the heavenly places, so too does our father scourge us through suffering, that we may obtain that salvation that has been purchased for us upon the cross. This is why St. Paul writes that we rejoice in our sufferings. It's not as though we rejoice in the suffering itself, for who likes to suffer? Whether big or small, whether something as small as a headache or something as large as the loss of a loved one. Nobody enjoys it. And yet in the midst of such suffering, whether great or small, we are to rejoice. How? 
Let's see what Luther has to say. Now, throughout Luther's life, he endured much suffering. And he occasionally wrote letters to people who were in the midst of suffering. 1524, he writes a letter to a man by the name of Bartholomew von Starenberg, whose wife had recently died. Luther, in part, had this to say. Now, it's a little bit long, about a paragraph, but bear with me, it is worth the careful listen. First, let me remind you of what Job says. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. As it seemed good to the Lord, so hath he done. You should sing the same song to a dear and faithful God who gave you a dear and faithful wife and has now taken her away. She was his before he gave her. She was his after he had given her. And she is still his, as we all are, now that he has taken her away. Although it hurts us when he takes his own from us, his good will should be a greater comfort to us than all his gifts. For God is immeasurably better than all his gifts. In this case, his will should be esteemed more than the best wife. Although we cannot perceive God's will as well as we can perceive a wife, we can apprehend his will by faith. Accordingly, you should cheerfully give God what is his and accept this just exchange and strange barter, whereby instead of a dear, tender wife, you have a dear, tender will of God. And what is more, God himself. From this letter of Luther, we are first reminded once more who the giver of all things really is. It is none other than the Lord himself who gives every single thing to us, whether that be our wealth, our career, our husband or wife, our children, and yes, even our health. It is the Lord who gives every single one of those things to us. They are the Lord's. He gives and he takes away. Second, we are reminded of the good and gracious will of God. That the Lord works all things for good. Even those things which to our eyes cannot possibly be working for good. We have the promise and the certainty that they are, in fact, working for good. If our God is the one who has created all things, who has sustained all things throughout history, and has loved us so much that he endured the cross for us, can we not entrust our lives to his good and gracious will? And third, we know that we cannot perceive God's will as much as we can perceive that which we are suffering. Bartholomew von Starenberg likely did not understand why he was enduring such suffering. We likely don't understand why we endure much of the suffering that we face. And yet we are to pray that we come to trust our Lord in the midst of such suffering. 
the purpose of suffering is not simply for the sake of more suffering. For St. Paul writes in our text that suffering produces endurance. That is, steadfastness, perseverance, the ability to withstand greater and greater suffering when it comes. As an athlete trains longer and longer and he is able to endure more and more exercise, so too in the life of a Christian. This endurance produces character. As St. Peter writes in, the first, in his first epistle, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Being put through the fire, through the many sufferings and trials of this life, strengthens our faith. The dross in our life is being burned away, and though our outer self is perishing, yet our inner self is being cleansed all the more. And this character produces hope. This hope is that which we cling to when the world around us is falling apart. You have hope in the one who has endured the cross for your salvation. The one in whose blood declares you righteous before God, who has poured out his love upon you in those lavishing washing of holy baptism. And this hope will not put you to shame. For the one who has spoken, it is finished, is trustworthy. You are his beloved children. You are at peace with God. You are his beloved sons whom he scourges, that you may be granted an unimag unimaginable honor and glory. To be conformed in the image of his son, your Savior. Let us ever be prepared to endure the sufferings of this life, trusting in our Lord. Let us rejoice in the midst of our sufferings, as Luther himself experienced at the death of his own daughter, when he said, I am joyful in spirit, but I am sad according to the flesh. The flesh doesn't take kindly to this. The separation troubles me above measure. It's strange to know that she is surely at peace and that she is well off there, very well off, and yet to grieve so much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>